All right. Well, I will invite you to take a seat. Good news is, is we have coffee and refreshments after the service, so if you're right in the middle of a good conversation, you can continue it later. Uh, this morning, we are privileged to be able to have uh, a f- good friend of Hillside Church, uh, Pastor David Wood from Coquitlam Alliance, come and join us. David has been speaking here for a long time, and we've always been really blessed to have him share God's word with us. Uh, he also is a professor and instructor at a couple of the local um, Bible colleges in this area, uh, very learned in church history, um, and a very good pastor, a good friend of mine. Um, he's going to share God's word with us this morning, and um, if it's all right, I'll, I'll pray for you, and we'll pray for you. Lord Jesus, um, you have given us your word, and what a gift, and you have given us preachers of your word, and what a gift. Thank you for the gift of David um, as he opens your word to us this morning. May our hearts be moldable and shapeable as you form us into people in your image through the words of this, your servant and our brother. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Kevin. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Good to be back at Hillside. Good to see my good friend, Kevin. And uh, and uh, also, I love the fact that uh, our church uh, and uh, Hillside Church, that we do a lot of things together. We like hanging out with each other. We actually do. Uh, Derwin and I like hanging out. And uh, I know uh, a lot of you here. And some of you will know, some of the guys will know, that uh, we like hanging out during a men's retreat. Some of you uh, went on the men's retreat last year. And so this is a shameless plug for the men's retreat that we're doing uh, together. And uh, the liaison for your men's retreat is uh, Simon Peacock. He didn't know that, but I'm just telling him right now. And Simon's just in the back there. And we even got cards to advertise the men's retreat. So it's coming up on April 28th to 30th. We got Rick Watts, who's a New Testament guy, Australian, so we have translators. Um, and so it's, it, but it's going to be really good. Rick, Rick, Rick is an amazing uh, speaker. And one of the themes that we're looking at is, uh, is, is called Trusting Jesus in a Skeptical World. And one of the things Rick and I were talking about was just some of the challenges we have, especially as men living in the world today. And a lot of guys are just like, you know, I don't know if I can trust the Bible. I don't know if this whole Christianity thing is true. I just, I'm not there anymore. And Rick, is, uh, he's going to lead us in this. He's like, no, man, we have so much. We have so, much, so many reasons to have hope. And everything we read about is like, you shouldn't have hope. He says, no, we need to have hope. And so this is going to be a really encouraging weekend. Um, and so come on out, sign up for it. Um, it would be so cool for our churches to, to spend that weekend together. Sarah, there's my shameless plug for the men's retreat. Um, we are going to carry on in our series, on your series on the book of Matthew. And uh, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 17 this morning. Now, I want to begin by asking a question. Do you remember when the Christian life was easy? I actually do. 
Almost 30 years ago, in a hotel room in Shanghai, I prayed for the first time. I was an atheist, came to faith, uh, and I prayed. And it wasn't a sophisticated prayer at all. Um, it was shockingly simple. My prayer, if I remember it correctly, was somewhere along the lines of, Jesus, if you're real, I'm in. That was it. And when I prayed this, I, something happened. I felt like a huge weight came off my back. And for the first time, I felt alive. And everything began to change. The meaning of to my life that seemed so hard to find, the happiness that seemed so temporary, the future that seemed so uncertain, I discovered we're not found by looking deep within myself, but we're found in Jesus Christ. That, that life was found not through making lots of money in business, that's what I was doing, not through having a position of power, not through drinking lots of alcohol, not through, through sex, not through drugs, but through Jesus Christ. He was my joy, he was my future, and I, I felt alive. I, I remember hanging out with a buddy of mine, and he was a, he was a guy, uh, he was a Christian, he was instrumental in me coming to faith, and he looked at me, he goes, what's wrong? I said, what do you mean what's wrong? He goes, you're smiling. I'm like, I don't know. And I remember saying to him, I am so happy that I am a Christian. I remember saying that to him. And I learned how to pray. And, and praying was easy. It was so easy. Because I found that when I prayed, things happened. I prayed for things, big things. And the next thing I knew, I received an answer to prayer. And I remember thinking to myself, this is awesome. This is so easy. This Christian life is great. It's fantastic. And it's actually quite easy. But, oh, that was so many years ago. <laughs> and I've learned over the years that following Jesus is not always easy. I, I find myself fretting about the future, about my kids' future, my work, my life. And the things that seemed so easy in the past have actually become quite difficult. I don't know if any of you have ever had that experience. So the question I was thinking about is, well, what happened? <laughs> Why did something that was so easy become so difficult? Well, I was very thankful for this passage because I think this passage that we're going to look at today has some answers to this question. So if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, we're going to begin in verse 14. So look that one up if you have a Bible. Look it up on, your, on Google, that's the worst case scenario. Um, yeah, Matthew chapter 17, verse, beginning verse 14, it says, And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, meaning Jesus, and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? 
Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, well, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, well, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus, we pray that you would speak to us this morning, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would soften hard hearts and give us an openness to hear from what you have to say to us this morning. You're not a philosophy, you're not a worldview, but you're personal and you're present. And so speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. So it may not show up in your translations, but there's a word. There's actually a, a key to understanding this passage. And the key to understanding this passage is a word that actually shows up three times in this passage. And, and the word is the word unable. In, in the Greek, it's a uk enesthesan. Did I get that right, Simon? I probably just nailed it, right? No, I didn't. Simon's there. He's an expert on Greek. But the word is, um, in English, is unable. And the word unable shows up time and time again in this passage, which ought to get our attention. And because the story that we're looking at this morning is not actually so much about the healing of a boy, but it's rather about why were the disciples unable to heal this boy. That's actually the question. And so the context of this, of this uh, passage is quite interesting because the context of this remarkable story is actually another remarkable story because just prior to this taking place with the story of this boy, we had this amazing story. What takes place just before this? Did you look at it last week? The transfiguration, yeah. It's, 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 it's Jesus and some of his disciples had just come back from this mountain experience. On the mountain, they, they came into contact with the glory of, of, of their master, Jesus Christ, and the glory of God the Father. They even hear the voice of the Father say this about Jesus, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so we can't miss this. On the Mount of Transfiguration, we hear the voice of a proud father. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Here we have another situation, and we have another voice of a father. This is the voice of an anguished father saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. My beloved son, and now we get my suffering son. So let's lean in. What's going on here? Verse 14, and they came to the crowd. A man came up and kneeling before him and said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly, for he often falls into the fire and often into water. We have a father who's at his wit's end, and he comes to Jesus. And the, and, and the man describes his son as, as experiencing seizures or, uh, in some translations, epilepsy, uh, the fact that he's suffering terribly. And the word that actually is used to describe what the, the son is going through is an interesting word. It actually kind of means moonstruck. Um, there was a belief uh, that um, the moon goddess uh, Selena used the moon's phases to strike down her victims. But basically, in the ancient world, whenever somebody is acting in a way where they're out of control, 
there was a belief that there, that there were unclean spirits or demonic spirits or demonic forces that were, were affecting things. And actually, in this case, even though the, the boy's having these epileptic fits, each time he's casting himself into water to drown or casting himself into fire to burn to death. And so whatever is happening seems to be exacerbated by spiritual forces that are trying to kill the boy. And the dad's upset because he brings the boy, he brings the son to his disciples for healing. But they were unable to help him. And this is both surprising and disappointing. And it's surprising because the disciples by this time had gained a reputation for being able to heal. Uh, they, back in chapter 7, or ch chapter 10, Jesus has given his disciples, quote, authority over unclean spirits, that, that they could cast them out and heal every disease and every sickness. And then we read in Mark's account in chapter 6 that the disciples went out and preached that the people should repent, and then they drove out demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So they had had success. They were successful. Until now. And now, despite their best efforts, they're unsuccessful. So much for the Jesus revolution. It doesn't seem to be working. And so it brings us back to the question that we asked earlier. What went wrong? What happened? Well, we see how things play out. And in verse 17, Jesus says, Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Here, bring them to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. So Jesus steps in and does things himself. But before he does that, he, he, Jesus actually he grumbles a little bit, doesn't he? He grumbles about the uh, inability of the disciples. <laughs> I like the way uh, there's a guy named Dale Bruner. He's a commentator. He says, at the top of the mountain, Jesus had shone and glowed. At the foot of the mountain, he moans and groans. <laughs> you kind of get, you know, God and man on display. Jesus, and now Jesus knows, he says, I don't have much time left. I've been working with these, these disciples. You think they would get it. And he basically says, you know, how much more time do I have with you? And, you're, and you still don't get it. It's like, you know, when, you, when your kids are growing up and, 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 and they still don't know how to pump gas. And you're like... You're going to have to go on your own soon. What do you mean you don't know how to do taxes? You don't know how taxes work. I'm not going to be here with you all the time, right? You're going to have to figure this stuff out. And you get a sense that Jesus is saying, like, I'm not actually going to be with you for that much longer. You guys got to figure this stuff out. And Jesus' frustration seems to go beyond just the scope of his disciples. When Jesus says, oh, you faithless and twisted generation, who's he addressing? He's, he's actually addressing a, a large group of people. Not just the disciples. If, we, if you read Mark's version of this, he's actually directing this towards the father, actually. The dad of the kid who, who, had a, um, who was having seizures. Because he says to the dad, you know, he says, you know, where's your faith? And, 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 and the, the dad, if you remember that in, in Mark's version, the dad says, um, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Do you remember that? Help me in my unbelief. So he's, he's struggling with doubt. The disciples' lack of faith certainly seems to be an issue here, and we're going to come back to that. But Jesus also seems to be addressing on a bigger scale Israel 
over and over again throughout the Gospels. Jesus presents himself as a Messiah, as the Son of God, as the rescuer for uh, not just Israel, but all of humanity. But people don't get it. And the book of Matthew, because it's written to the early church, I think this, 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 this admonition, oh, you faithless and twisted generation, can be directed towards the church as well. Because whenever you find a church that stops having faith, that stops trusting that God can do miracles, they become part of a faithless generation. Now let's get personal. Because you and I are reading this today. And I think Jesus' words are addressed to you and to me. It's easy to hide behind the idea of the church. But really it cuts to our own hearts. And, and I need to ask myself the question, am I part of that faithless generation? Have I given up that Jesus can answer prayers? Have I even given up praying? I've been, um, for about a year and a half now, I've been uh, seeing, seeing a counselor. And um, a counselor's helping me with, uh, with so, some issues um, of anxiety that, that, that came up about a year and a half ago. An, an event took place, and I just, it really triggered some, uh, this, this anxiety. And, and I'm like, what's going on? And anyhow, during, during the process, over this past year and a half, I've discovered something. And this is what I've discovered is that I'm really good at trusting God in a big picture kind of way. I, you know, I, I, I get, when stuff happens, I get, you know what, okay, stuff happens, but in the end, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all shall be well. I, I, I can get there really easy. I can, you know, you know, when something, even with my colleagues, when they're struggling, I say, hey, you need to realize in the big picture, this is where we are as a church. We've been going through lots of changes, so you need to recognize that this is a season that our church is going through and God will lead us through it. And people are like, good. So on a macro level, I'm all over it. It's in the micro it's when stuff happens, when somebody cuts you off or you get into a car accident or, or, or something in the midst, like the messiness of life. Usually when stuff happens in life, my default now, my default, not now, it's probably it's always been this way, my default is to say, God, you know what, I'm not sure if I can trust you with this stuff. I'll take care of this. And so my default is control in the micros of life. The macro, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I can trust in God. But when it comes to getting to the ferry on time, I got this. I got this. I will get there on time, and we will be there early, like way too early. But, I mean, but it's control, right? It's a control thing. Now, I'm guessing that I'm probably the only one with this experience here, right? Um, no. And I think this, I mean, Jesus actually has something to say to us in this. Oh, you faithless generation. Now, the cool part is, Jesus groans over this faithless generation, but in grace he says, all right, bring the boy to me. And we need to remind ourselves that regardless of the problem, when we place these problems in Jesus' hands, there's hope. And we read that the boy is healed instantly. But then we get to the main question of this passage. Why in the world were the disciples unable to heal him? 
Why were they unable to cast out this demon? I mean, in the past, it seemed to work. Why can't, why isn't it working now? Now, I wonder, I wonder if something happened to the disciples in their life with Jesus that over time, a shift takes place. And I recognize this shift. A shift from depending on Jesus and his power to heal towards depending on their previous experiences as a basis for healing. It's a subtle shift. I read a story. Um, Tom, Tom Wright tells a story of, of, of a woman who, who was quite a swimmer. And she was practiced and she was quite a strong swimmer. And she wanted to put her swimming strength to, to the test. And there was this bay and she swam from um, one edge of the bay to the other edge of the bay. So across the bay. And uh, it was a, quite a long distance. It's the ocean and everything. And she swam it. And she swam it easily. And she got to the other side without any difficulty. And she's like, wow, all this training has paid off. And so she goes, this is amazing. I'm going to do this again. And so the next day, same thing. She gets into the water and she starts swimming. But then she finds herself just getting really tired. And then really tired. And what seemed so easy before was really, really difficult to the point that she began to panic. And she says, I'm not going to get across. And she actually stops and she cries out for help and she cries out for help and she's bobbing in the water for about an hour before a boat, a boat comes along and rescues her. And she gets out and she goes, I don't get it. I don't get it. I did this yesterday and it was so easy. Why, why couldn't I do it today? And, and the guy on the boat says, you're not the first person to ask this question or to experience this. Some days the tides and the currents run differently. They look the same, but there's an undertow that affects things. And I look at this and I'm wondering, is this not what happens to the disciples? Like the swimmer on the second day, they thought, well, since deliverance was so darn easy before, it ought to be easy the second time. But it wasn't. Now, why isn't it? Now, listen to what Jesus says. He says to them, because they asked the question, and he says to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. See, for the disciples, what's the issue? The issue is little faith. The actual word is little faith. In, in the Greek, it's, it's one word. And so what's the issue? Well, I think the issue that they face is the issue that we face. I'll, I'll speak for myself. That I face. As, as a follower of Jesus Christ. I find that the biggest challenge of following Jesus Christ is that I need to learn to believe the things I say I believe. Like, I, I believe a lot of things. But I need to learn to belie actually believe what I say I believe. I've been doing a series on uh, Tuesday nights on the cross, which I thought, I'll do four-week series, leads up to Easter, works out really well. Should be easy. <laughs> it's not easy. And the more you dive into the depths of what took place on the cross, you realize you're on holy ground. And I realize, do I, do I believe this? 
do I truly believe this? I know I say I believe this, but I tr do I truly believe this? And so the problem that Jesus is pointing out, he says the problem is, for the disciples, is their little faith. But then notice what he says. If you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you'll say to the mountain, move from here to there. Okay, now doesn't, that doesn't make sense. What's your problem? Little faith. What do I need? Little faith. <laughs> well, which, which is it? You just said the problem was my little faith, and you said if I have little faith, you can move a mountain. But I do have little faith. <laughs> it's a very strange thing that Jesus says. What's going on here? Now, a good rule of thumb, if you're puzzled when you're reading a passage in the Bible, is see if it's the story or the account shows up somewhere else. And because you may get more information. Well, sure enough, it does. Because Mark's account uh, can help us out of the same event. Mark gives us a lot more detail. And Mark hears Jesus in this conversation with the disciples. And what Jesus, what he hears him, Jesus also say is this. This kind can come out only through what? Prayer. prayer. Only through prayer. And sometimes and fasting, right? And so in Mark, the key to understanding the puzzle facing the disciples has to do with prayer. Matthew says we need faith. Mark's account says we need prayer. What's the difference? Not much. <laughs> um, prayer is simply faith breathing. Mustard seed faith must be praying faith. And both faith and prayer require something important. It requires an orientation towards God. And this is key. Now, and I love this. I heard this example because, like, in your home, if you have a big window, you could have a huge window at night, and you could clean the window, and you could see right through it, and it's perfect, and you could sit down, and you can look at the moon tonight. The only problem is, if the moon's on the other side of the house, you could look as much as you want. You're not going to see the moon right? But if you go to the other side of the house where the, the moon is on that side, and let's say you just have a little crack in the wall, you can look through the little crack, the tiny little crack, and you can see the moon. What matters is which way you're facing, right? And here's the thing, the, the, if, you, if you can see the moon, well, then you can look at it carefully, you can get binoculars, you can get a telescope, and the more you see, the more you know and maybe the point is this, and maybe that our smallest prayer, a really, really small prayer, if it's directed properly, can produce great things. When we fix our eyes on the one who can heal and transform our lives, stuff happens. But the opposite is true. You could, get, you could be really into prayer. And you could be into liturgies and you could have prayer books and you could do all sorts of things. But if, it's, if your heart's not oriented towards God, it's not going to make any difference. Sometimes what happens is we, well, in my case, is I, I direct my own abilities. <laughs> I, I rely on my own abilities. And so I wonder... If these disciples, if for the disciples, if their issue was that they had stopped actually looking to God, 
or they were looking for God in the wrong places, or they didn't have that mustard seed of faith towards God that is needed to pray. Now, I think this is important. Because what Jesus is not saying, we need to hear this, Jesus is not saying that if you have really big faith, you, could you can move really big mountains. And sometimes that's a lie we hear in the church. If you believe much, God will do much. And the reason why God is not doing much is because you do not believe enough. Right? I hear that. And I, there's a church in Toronto, and it had these banners. And it said, do more, pray more, give more. And I was so tired just looking at those, those banners because, oh, more, more, more. But it's not about doing, like, doing more. It's about where your heart is directed. Jesus says, if you have a little faith, little as a grain of mustard, a mustard seed, then you can tell a mountain to move. And I think what he's telling us is that when you and I are at our wit's end, when we're hanging by a thread and we have very little in the tank and all we can do is look up and cry out to God, then that's enough. I thought about this because I thought, because remember I told you about my, my sophisticated prayer when I came to faith. My prayer was, Jesus, if you're real, I'm in. But I'll tell you, I was at the end of my rope. If I didn't turn to Jesus, I was going to die. That's where my life was. I, was. I was desperate. And I just said, Jesus, oh, if you're real, I'm in. And it was a small, small prayer. But oh, did he ever answer it. Because I was oriented the right way. And it's a cool word, this word orient. You, ever have, you go to work and you have an orientation and you, know, and you feel disoriented, you're not sure where you are. But the word orient, what does it mean? It means east. And in the early church, uh, in the second and third century, the early church, um, they would have a practice. They would always turn eastward when they prayed. And they turn eastward because Why? Um, because the sun rises in the east. And so whenever they turn eastward, they were reminded of the fact that the sun is risen, that Jesus is risen. And they would live in that hope. And so to turn eastward is to be oriented. And I think in our world, we're disoriented because we're turning everywhere except towards the risen sun. And I think that's what's going on in this passage. When we're oriented properly, what happens? Well, look what it says in the very last verse. And the mountain will move, and then it says, and nothing will be unable for you. That's what it literally says. And nothing will be unable for you. And I, I know some of you may be here this morning, you're know, like, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm there anymore. I'm not sure if I believe this anymore. And I love uh, Dale Bruner as a commentator. He says this. He says, the goal of this story is to inspire just enough faith within his readers that they will believe God enough to pray. And they will expect miracles. And then and, and he says, is this unrealistic? Well, we always have to come back to the question, did Jesus rise from the dead? Did he? Yes. <laughs> Good. It wasn't a trick question. Um, he did rise from the dead. 
Now, even in the ancient world, from my understanding, dead people remain dead. They don't come back to life. I mean, this is incredible. And that's what Easter we're going to be celebrating. And we have to hold on to that. Because if God can raise his son from the dead, he can, he can manage our prayers. And I find that the older I get, I think in some ways my faith has deepened, but in some ways it hasn't. And I find this is strange because I think, well, man, I've been at this for a long time. You think my faith would, would really grow, but sometimes it shrinks. But I find my faith shrinks. And then, now here's the danger. The danger is because I'm a pastor and I've been pastoring for 23 years, and I know every trick in the book. I know I got, I got more prayer books, and like, I, got, I got all the tools of the trade, right? And it's very, very easy for me to just rely on these tools of the trade, ironically, prayer books, and do all the right gestures and the right religious motions and miss Jesus. And that's why it's a dangerous vocation to be a pastor. And a lot of pastors go years and years, and they've long forgotten about Jesus. But they're just very good at doing religious stuff. And so I find that what I have to do is I have to constantly reorient my life to Jesus and the simple faith, the simple reality of who he is, the profound reality, but the simple turning to him. And I think that's what this passage is, is all about. When sometimes our faith, we, it gets complicated. And when it gets complicated, we get disillusioned. So this passage, I think, is an invitation for us this morning to reorient our life. Does that make sense? All right, well, let's pray. Jesus, this is your word. And uh, we come here this morning, and many of us are feeling disoriented. We got stuff going on in our lives and we're trying to fix it. We trust you for the big picture, but we don't trust you for the details of our lives. Oh Lord, may this be a warning to us, what we read in this passage. It's a warning, but also an invitation. The invitation is to come back to you and live. Lord, we pray in many ways that you would Restore unto us the joy of your salvation. Grant us a willing spirit to sustain us. We pray that we would be alive to the things of you and that we would trust you again. So many things in this world just knock us off our game and they knock us off, off balance and, and we, our attention ends up being distracted in a hundred different ways and we don't turn to you. So we turn back to you again. And we pray, would you have mercy upon us? In Jesus' name, amen.